Hey, everybody. Uh, this is not how we normally open a podcast, but um, I was finishing up editing, publishing, literally about to hit the send out button for today's pod. And the biggest news in the NFL that we've had in uh, years at this point um, just came through. It's as big as Tom Brady retiring. Russell Wilson is being traded to the Denver Broncos um, pending a physical an absolutely massive, massive deal in the NFL. Um, I mean, I'm literally looking at the tweet four minutes ago. This just broke. So this is brand new. I haven't really got a whole lot of time to think about it and react. Uh, we have Vito on the pod on Friday, and we will 100% get into all of the nitty gritty on that. But uh, wow, just um blockbuster of blockbuster type of deal man um wow this uh, i'm sitting here almost at a loss for words i mean immediately it makes denver a potential super bowl candidate um they're gonna have a great running game they have a new head coach nathaniel rackett uh who is a very good offensive mind obviously just worked or hackett i should say just worked with aaron Rodgers. um it's huge. This is huge. Uh, I, I think it's a home run for Denver. Uh, the compensation of the deal has not come out yet, but it will. My guess is a shitload of first round picks. Uh, Seattle is scrapping things and going back to the drawing board. And, you know, this goes back to what I said all season about, you know, where's Russell Wilson going to be? Did the Seahawks take Wilson and fire Pete Carroll? Would you rather have Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson? If you can only have one, which one would you rather have calling the shots? And I always said I'd rather have Russell Wilson and let the chips fall with it where they may. Um, but this is going to have ripple effects all over the place. Uh, Seattle now is going to be in the mix to draft a quarterback in the first round. Uh, maybe. I don't I don't know. Um, it's huge. It's huge. So. Uh, I didn't want to put this out without you with this having happened and have you guys think, oh, wow, he just completely didn't mention uh, the biggest story in the NFL uh, in a long time. Uh, so there you go. It's happened. We're going to get into all of it later in the week as more information comes out and what this means for, for both the Broncos and uh, Seattle moving forward. Uh, all I know is Vito just texted me and uh, he goes, Russ in all cats. Caps, baby, let's go. Vito's a happy guy. And the Broncos, well, the AFC West somehow got even more interesting. <laughs> Man, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Derek Carr. That's a loaded division, man. That is a loaded division. All right. Enjoy the pop. Option podcast coming to you from New Jersey. I know it's crazy, right? I'm I'm in New Jersey. Took a week up at the beach house, flying solo once again. But we got a great show. 
Uh, we're going to have Vito back on Friday's pod. Uh, we only ended up doing one pod last week, and uh, that's because there was some stuff that came up in my professional life and uh, personal life and stuff that uh, I'm actually going to share with you guys at the end of this pod. I uh, love this platform, love what I'm able to do with this platform and, and to be able to have that. So I'll share some of that at the end uh, for those who are interested in those who just want to hear me talk about sports. Uh, we're going to have plenty of that for you. This is a football podcast today. Uh, NBA is heating up. The Celtics look great. The Sixers look great. 5-0 and with James Harden. Um, so there's plenty of other stuff we could talk about. But the NFL, you know, we say it all the time. It's a 24-7 league, right? 365, too. 24-7, 3-7. It is year-round. We, we get it nonstop, basically, um, because there's always something. And the one thing that I actually think is the least important of that year-round calendar is, is where we're going to start at this pod. So we're going to talk combine. We're going to talk uh, Calvin Ridley and the story that came out with him yesterday. We're going to hit on the quarterback draft or the quarterback prospects for the draft, as well as look at a little bit of some some light mock draft stuff as to what that first round is starting to seem like it's going to look like. Uh, and then we're going to end today is also the franchise tag deadline. So we're going to end with that. And like I said, some personal stuff to wrap up the pod today. But uh, before we get into the combine draft, all that other stuff, we have to open up here with the Calvin Ridley story. Um, Calvin Ridley is now suspended indefinitely, but definitely for the full 2022 NFL season because he was caught gambling on the NFL. Now, his legalized gambling has, has come up, right? It, it's very similar to when NIL first became legalized this summer, right? And everyone gets very excited at first. You're thinking, oh, this is great. Oh, look at all these fun endorsements. You know, same thing with the transfer portal. Oh, this is great. Players are going to be able to go and transfer, right? But I had a teacher in eighth grade, Mrs. Weaver, and she taught me about the idea of unintended consequences. And for everything, it was a history class. And so for every class, everything we learned about, you know, there was always a part, which were what were three unintended consequences of this significant thing that happened in the world. And we're starting to get to that point now. We have our first example of that here with sports gambling becoming legalized. And now it's not federally legal and it's not legal in every single state, but it's legal in a lot. You know, that number seems to grow consistently over and over over this last couple of years. It's grown, it's going up and up. And at its core, I believe sports gambling is a great thing. I think there's no reason it should have been illegal in the first place, right? It, especially when we talk about, hey, we live in this capitalist society. You're free to do what you want to do. Just figure out a way that we can do it you know, safely. That's, it's similar to the drug conversation, right? Would you, would you rather be able to go to a dispensary to buy pot? Or would you rather, you know, go to a sketchy dealer, right? Would you rather be able to place your bet with an official sports book? Or would you rather go to a creepy, you know, sports bookie and, and place your bet and, and the danger and stuff that kind of comes with that with illegal gambling. So the fact that it's legalized is objectively a good thing. People are going to bet on sports, so give them a way to do it easily, safely. And by the way, the NFL is printing money off of it. They have, I believe, seven different, uh, seven different official deals with gambling companies. But with that runs this risk. A player betting on the sport that he plays in. Now, it was only a matter of time. It was only a matter of time. 
And when we think about sports gambling and players betting, there's one name that pops in everyone's head, right? It's Pete Rose. Pete Rose is the guy who gambles, gambled on his team or supposedly didn't gamble. He was manager, it was all this stuff. And it's kept him out of the Hall of Fame. So it's been, he's been the poster child for sports betting. And I don't know if Calvin Ridley will ever top that in magnitude because, you know, Pete Rose is arguably one of the best hitters of all time. He's the only person to have 4,000 hits. He's he's on the pantheon of greatest baseball players ever, especially for his time period when baseball was still as massive as it was in our society. But that was illegal sports betting, right? He was gambling with a bookie. He was doing it under the table. There was actual legal ramifications for betting on sports illegally. The reason I bring up Pete Rose is because he was that poster child. He was the person that we all think of. He still is the person we all think of when you think about a player gambling on sports. And Calvin Ridley, I think, is going to be a probably smaller version of the same thing, but with legalized sports gambling. Because the unintended consequences of legalizing sports betting is the fact that you're going to have a couple players do it. And if you think Calvin Ridley is the only one doing it, he's not, I'm, I'm promising you. He's the only one dumb enough to put it under his name and to go to a, an actual casino and put it in. And the way it was caught was that this casino company actually reported the bet to the NFL, and that's what kicked off the investigation. Now, everyone's up in arms because the suspension's too severe and all that stuff, and, and I'm going to get into all that stuff too. But the first part of this that I think is just worth talking about is that this is going to be a landmark moment. This is going to be something that for the rest of, of sports, for the next 20, 30, 40 years, now that sports gambling is more and more legalized and eventually it'll be legal in almost every single state, once you get to that point, he's going to be remembered for this. You know, he's going to be the name that pops in your head. But I'm also curious as to what kind of changes are going to come from this. Now, obviously, the NFL had, has connections and, and is working with casinos to monitor the names of, of the people betting. But the NFL is probably going to have to come up with some sort of rules publicly. Because the fact that this was in November and it was kept completely under wraps and right at 4 o'clock when, when the report came out from Adam Schefter, Calvin Ridley had a tweet at the same time. So they knew this report was coming out. They knew exactly what it was. He had his defense ready. He had a statement. He had shot off a couple of bizarre tweets. Um, you know, saying, I, I, I bet $1,500. I don't have a gambling problem, which to me, I, I was like, I don't, I don't think he's got, I, I would, that would not have been the first thought in my head. Like, oh man, Calvin Ridley must have a serious betting problem. To me, in my head, I was thinking, well, Calvin Ridley sat out the season to work on his mental health. And now, Calvin Ridley was probably sitting around being like, hey, you know, what? just throw a couple of shekels here around, right? Because that's what we've all been doing now that it's become so accessible and so easy. Now, the punishment is severe, and it's, it's clear that the NFL has come in very, very strong on this, and as they probably should. But for Calvin Ridley, this is going to be a, a, a black mark with him, and not as a like Michael Jordan, like going to Atlantic City and gambling all night during the NBA Finals. Not in that kind of a way where people be like, oh, does he have a gambling problem? But rather, it's this is the guy who was the first one to get caught now that it's become legalized. And I still believe deep down that legalizing it is, is the right move. But morally speaking, I don't have an issue with players betting on sports, even on the sports that they play. 
It, it really doesn't bug me that much, right? It, to, to bet on yourself to win, right? Like Floyd Mayweather has bet obscene amount of money, like in the Conor McGregor fight, on himself to win a game or to win a fight. Now, of course, if it was the other way, if he had bet on McGregor or something, right? You know, there, there would all, always be these questions, but betting on yourself doesn't necessarily feel like a bad thing. If you're betting on yourself to win and you're, you're literally putting money to back yourself up, you're, it, it could be a form of motivation. It could be a million different things. But the bottom line is, clearly, this is going to be something that sticks with Calvin Ridley for the rest of his career, probably for the rest of his life. Because every time we talk about legalized sports gambling or any time a situation like this comes up, he will be the first name. It'll be him and Pete Rose. Even though I do think Pete Rose is more on the Jordan side where this dude probably did have a gambling problem. He was gambling a lot and he was a manager. So there's a whole bunch of other stuff there with Pete Rose. And then he lied about it, which didn't help. And it turned into a much uglier situation than, than what it is now with Calvin Ridley. But my hope is that people look at his actions and based off the response on social media, which, you know, pick or choose, whatever, we all live in an echo chamber. So we all just see things that we automatically agree with and we give ourselves confirmation bias. He is undoubtedly going to pay for this in a lot of different ways, right? I saw a tweet. Somebody said, oh, $1,500. He bet $1,500 and lost $10 million because he's not going to get paid for this season. And I hope it is a learning lesson, and I hope that there's ways to go about it. But the punishment is the thing that most people seem to be upset about here. It's, it's not that people are upset at Calvin Ridley because, oh, my God, you bet on football. They're mad at the NFL for suspending him for a full season plus, you know, whatever it could go, you know, assuming maybe he gets good behavior, he can come back in 2023. The punishment does feel severe. And everyone's comparing it to, oh, well, Ray Rice only got two games in his first. And, and people who have assaulted women and their children and other people and have committed crimes have paid far less of a penalty, which is a totally different conversation. I, I understand that people want to compare the two, right? Well, Ray Rice only got two games. Well, let's fix how we treat people like that in the NFL. Let's fix NFL fix how you treat criminals in your league, domestic abusers. Fix that. Suspend them indefinitely. Suspend, suspend them for a year. I'm, I'm with that. That needs to be fixed. It needs to be addressed. But the reason I don't think these two are comparable is that morally speaking, even though I don't have an issue with a player betting on sports, it becomes an incredibly slippery slope and it opens up the door for a potential scam. It opens up the door for somebody to, to a throw a game to try to win a bet. And so I don't have an issue actually with the suspension at all. I have an issue with the fact that people are comparing it to something else that needs to be fixed. I think a year plus is actually a smart move by the NFL. Because what is competitive sports at its basis, right? Why, why does football, why does sports, why do people care about it? Because it's one of the few things left we have that is genuinely authentic, right? If, when you watch The Bachelor, people love The Bachelor, right? That whole shit is scripted. I've made this case about Survivor. Like Survivor is, is shot and edited in a way that really lives up the drama, but 
they like, they don't know what's going to happen. So much of our shows and our reality shows and all this stuff that people listen and watch to and, and, and pay attention to, it's scripted. It feels predictable. Same thing with movies today. That's why people like a movie that's not, the you know, oh, that, that ended differently than I thought it would. People buy into that. Sports is unbelievably authentic. And it's one of the few viewing things we have where it's live and no one knows what's going to happen. And that's special. Like, there's a reason that has value. Especially when you're talking about sports and, and, and television in particular, right? Why We always talk about this. Why are these TV contracts so big? Why, why is sports bringing that kind of money? Why is Troy Aikman going to get paid $17.5 million a year to broadcast 18 games on Monday Night Football for the NFL? Because the property of live sports matter. And then you go back, well, why do sports matter? And why do fans love it? Because it is, there's a million reasons, but one of the big ones is that. It's this idea that we don't know what's going to happen. It's truly unpredictable. Betting and players betting on football, I'll be honest, that kind of could screw up that integrity, the integrity of that. But whether you think it's right or wrong, you hate Goodell, you don't. It is such a slippery slope for players to be allowed to bet on the sport that they play because it only takes one person. It only takes one piece of shit person. And next thing you know, you have the Chicago Black Sox all over again. But instead of it being the late 1800s, early 1900s, we're talking about 2022 and something that could be completely preventable. You have to withhold that integrity. Otherwise, sports don't matter. It becomes conspiracy theorists. All those people who are like, oh, the refs are throwing this game. Right. Think about the Tim Donahue story in the NBA. You had a ref that was shaving points. You had a ref that was changing the outcome of game and betting on them. And he was caught up in, in the mob and, and had a whole other you know, set of circumstances. But that was really bad for the credibility of the NBA. People still talk about the Sacramento Kings and Los Angeles Lakers um, Western Conference Finals back in 2002 because it was Tim Donahue was, was officiating that game. And everyone felt like the league had something to do with that. And the second that you have this, you let players bet on that, all those conspiracy theorists become valid. Less people will trust the validity of the game. And therefore, the entire purpose of watching a game goes out the window. And I understand this might sound dramatic. This might sound like I'm being over the top. But I I'm, I'm promise you, I'm, I'm, this is true. The, these things would happen. And so while I agree with everybody saying Ray Rice only got two games, right? Greg Hardy only got six games or, or whatever his was, or, or Josh Brown, the kicker, only got six games, right? Like these domestic abuses, these animals, these terrible people got such significantly less than what a guy gambling did. I get how on its surface people are going to run with that. But to me, you can't compare the two. Like, yes, we need to fix how the league treats people who are criminals and people who are domestic abusers. That needs to be more severe. But I have zero issue with the NFL suspending Calvin Ridley for a year, even though morally speaking, I don't think there's anything wrong, quote unquote, for an, on an individual basis to say, I'm going to bet on myself to win this game. But the implications and, and the way that it can be spun off and, and the harm it could do for the product of the NFL, I think the NFL actually did the right thing here. Because if we want to keep the NFL as special as it is, 
players shouldn't be allowed to bet on the NFL. They shouldn't. And Calvin Ridley bet on the Falcons. He wasn't playing. No one on the team had any connection. No one in the team even knew about it. But this is essentially insider trading. People talk about the stock market being, you know, just professional gambling, basically. Because that's all it is, is it's gambling and you can get a lot of information. But if you have inside information, if you know certain players aren't going to play or you know the schemes and matchups, you might be at such an advantageous position that it could really feel like insider trading in a lot of ways, which is illegal. And there's a reason why people go to jail over that and people have to pay outrageous fines over that because it's, it's cheating the system. And I'm all for finding ways to, to crack through and bending the rules a little bit, but for the NFL to hold that integrity of competitive, a genuine competition, they had to suspend him severely. And yeah, maybe he's the guy who is being made, you know, the scapegoat for it, right? They're using him. They're making an example out of him. Maybe that's all true. But the NFL, I think, had to do that. And they also then need to go and fix everything else that is wrong with how they punish players, whether it's for things like weed and Josh Gordon to domestic abusers and, and criminals that they have in the league, which there's not a lot. They're few and far between for the most part. But those guys should be penalized more and Calvin Ridley should be suspended as severely as he was. So the NFL Combine just wrapped up after this past weekend. And if you're a longtime listener to the program, you know how I feel about the Combine. The Combine is the dumbest thing we have in professional sports. Now, I'm sure there are other dumb rules like the Yankees not being allowed to have a beard and shit like that that you can find. But in terms of, of what is considered a big event, the Combine is so dumb. It's, it's absurdly dumb tricks teams into investing in guys and drafting guys that they really shouldn't because they got blown away by a quarterback who could throw the ball 80 yards. Talking about Jamarcus Russell. Uh, But there's also been plenty of other examples as well. Look at the top 10 guys to to run the fastest 40. You have Patrick Peterson, I I think Patrick Peterson, Champ Bailey, and uh, Chris Johnson. Those are the only three productive players who are in that top 10 all time in the 40, breaking that 4-3, right? The combine, the most valuable part of the combine is actually the interviews that teams do with guys, which even still, some teams do great with it, other teams don't. But that's really the only thing that really, really matters at the combine, and we don't get to see it. So... I continue to say this take, and I've had it for a long time. I'm going to continue to use it. The combine's dumb. It makes no sense. We don't need it. It's not helping. It helps some guys get drafted, but it's not going to help them be a better player. I think it hurts teams more often than it helps teams. If teams just stopped going to the combine and just watch tape and did nothing but watch tape and do their interviews and bring them in for a workout, players' teams would be so much better off. Because you'll see examples, guys like Jordan Davis, who's six foot seven, 350, 60 pounds, and he ran a four, seven, eight, 40, right? That is absurd. And, and I can appreciate how insane that is for a human being that speed to run a sub four, eight, 40. 
but it doesn't matter. In what context is Jordan Davis going to have to sprint 40 straight yards in a straight line? Never. That doesn't happen in football. And for D linemen, offensive linemen, the most important thing from a 40 is actually that 10-yard split. Because that's just like, hey, how explosive are you off of a line? But it's not a natural starting position. It's not like you're down in your three set, you know, your, your three technique. You're not, you're not down in a three-point stance, not down in a two-leg stance. You know, you're not you're in this sprinter position. And of course, agents, players, they've realized that they can make a lot more money if they're able to, you know, perform well at the combine. Therefore, they train to do well at the combine, but it has no correlation to guys being good or not. Being good at a combine doesn't mean you're a good football player. Doesn't mean that you deserve to be the number one overall pick. Some guys will flash. Some guys won't. And if you're a football junkie, the season ends. We're about a month removed from the Super Bowl. So, yeah, we want to sit down and we want to watch something about football. We want to get excited for the draft. And I get it. And it's turned into a big event. But it's also this glad-handing, you know, media goes to Indy and, and coaches go to Indy and they all go to these steakhouses and restaurants and they get drunk and they hang out and they talk and tell stories. And it turns into more of a fun event than what I think teams can really get out of it. Again, the interview part of it, I do believe, is very, very valuable. But that's it. I, I don't get value from watching Malik Willis chuck the ball 70 yards against air in shorts and a t-shirt. Is it cool? Does it go viral? Do people watch it? Sure. Of course they do. But we need to get out of this mindset that the combine matters because the bottom line is it doesn't for your team. Now, if you want to say, fuck it, who cares? Sports don't matter in the real world. Anyway, I want to watch this. Cool. No worries. I get it. I get it. But if you're talking to somebody and being like, oh, man, I, I really want the Broncos to draft Jordan Davis because he ran that thing. No, it's not about that. You want to draft Jordan Davis because he's an absolute fucking monster. And because he can destroy teams. And not just, you know, not like Virginia Tech, but like good SEC teams. He can change games. He can go in and be a stud tomorrow, which to find an interior defensive lineman built like that who could come in into the NFL tomorrow and play a game and be good, that is hard to find so jordan davis great draft him love him watch the tape unbelievable play what he runs at the 40 even though it's insane that a guy his size can run a sub 4 8 40 time has no correlation to him being a good football player none whatsoever so while i get it and i get it's fun and it's more for the coaches and the media who go and cover and have a good time in indy for a couple of days if you sit there and think, oh, man, this is going to, you know, oh, I really like, don't fall in love with anybody at the combine. Maybe maybe that's the perfect way to say this. Don't fall in love with anybody at the combine. Because you're, you're not going to you're going to be disappointed ultimately, or maybe you'll hit. And then you, it'll be, again, that confirmation bias where you're sitting there being like, see, I told you. I said, you see how fast he ran? Just don't use that in your arguments. If you want to watch it, enjoy it. Go for it. Watch the viral videos. Knock yourself out. But just don't use it as rationale for why your team should draft somebody. It's not going to help you out. It's, there's, there's nothing valuable about that. Um, the other interesting stories that kind of came out of the combine, though, there were two viral videos that went around that were non-football related. Uh, one was of quarterback Malik Willis, who is seemingly skyrocket up people's drafts to the point that I looked at a couple mock drafts here today, including PFF, 
they had him going number two to Detroit. I like Malik Willis. I think he's got the highest upside in this draft. He should not go number two overall. He absolutely positively should not go number two overall, unless that team who's taking him, whether it's Detroit or wherever, is absolutely enthralled and in love with him. But he's raw. I was talking to a guy who was down to the senior bowl and he said, <laughs> he was talking to one of the executives who run it. And he said, Malik Willis had five of the most impressive throws I've ever seen at, at the senior bowl. But he also had five of the worst that I've ever seen at the senior bowl. And it's because he's a ridiculous athlete. He's unbelievably talented. He's got a great arm, but he's super, super raw. And you got to get the right quarterback developer. You got to put him with the right team. He is a project. Very similar to Trey Lance. And we saw, even with Kyle Shanahan, how hard it was on Trey Lance to go in and play in the NFL. I mean, Malik Willis was playing at Liberty. Like, yeah, they played Ole Miss this year. And yeah, he was originally supposed to go to Auburn and had off the field issues. He seems to have corrected that. He seems to have been a good person. You can't draft him number two overall. But the reason, again, I go off on that diatribe, but the reason I brought up Malik Willis in the first place was because Malik Willis, there was a video that went viral of a guy videotaping him going up to a homeless person, taking something out of his bag, I don't know if it was food or clothes, and handing it to the homeless person. Now, cynics are like, I'm not going to lie, my first instinct was like, this seems kind of too good to be true. <laughs> and that's a very cynical and kind of dick way of looking at it, but it's just the truth. It's just kind of what my brain first did. You know, I'm all about being transparent with you guys. But I do think it was probably real. And I do think Malik Willis was doing a good deed. And, and one of the things about the combine, they, they hammer into these guys at the combine, they say every single move, every single thing you do at the combine act as if somebody's watching it, which let's be real. I think we all would probably be better people if we kept that mindset. Like imagine your parents or your grandparents are watching you at all times, you know, and, and you would want to be a good person to them, right? You wouldn't want to look like a dick. So I do believe maybe it was a little bit of that. Maybe Malik Willis is just an awesome, awesome guy. I don't know, but this, the video went absolutely nuts. The other one I'm a little bit more skeptical of, which was a quarterback from Brown University who spent time walking up and down the sidelines, picking up trash until all of the trash on the sideline was gone after everyone else had left. And an agent who was there, you know, an agent media person, whoever it was, and was filming it and was like, oh, my God, what an unbelievably amazing person this guy is. And look, it's a nice thing. It's, it's a great thing, right? Clean up after yourself. I coached high school football for multiple years. I played football. I work with guys who are on football. Almost every single high school program in America that has an ounce of, you know, good character and morality makes kids do this shit. Now, of course, you're like, oh, we're big time. We're at the combine. Other guys are going to walk off and do it. Does it look good? Sure. But he was on the sideline. There's people watching. And it goes back to that same thing I just said, which is that our play when you're at the combine they tell you agents tell you every single thing you do will be seen and act as if everything you you do perform or whatever is part of your evaluation how you treat the support staff how you treat the janitor walking by how you treat fans how you treat your equipment how you treat the field and the facility 
how you interact with other players, all of that stuff. They're taught like, Hey, you are in a, you're under a microscope this week and you're going to be for the full five, four or five days that you're there. So make it count, be a good person, right? Maybe go a little bit above and beyond. And again, this kid might've just genuinely wanted to help clean up and, and might've had none of that involved. Maybe it was in the back of his head. Maybe it wasn't. I'm not trying to be a cynical asshole, but it does play into this idea going back to why the combine is so fucking stupid. <laughs> they put these guys into a fucking Petri dish and they just, they, they, they stare at them. They stare at them. They're fish in a fish tank, you know? And it's like finding Nemo. Although all the owners and, and coaches are like, Darla, the creepy girl who's like poking on the glass and finding Nemo. It's the same thing. And these owners, they're just like, hey, come on. I want to see which kind of person you're like. I hope the kid was honest. I hope it wasn't. A, I hope the media person wasn't just trying to go viral and, and took that to do that. I, I don't know the whole story. I don't know what the rationale and, and none of us ever will. But again, it all feeds back into this whole thing about the combine. It's why it's so fucking dumb. It, it's Parallel, uh, what's the what's the word? Parallelization by uh, overanalyzation or something? I don't know. I, whatever that phrase is, I absolutely uh, paralysis by overanalysis. That's what it is. And I think teams get in their own head. And I think there's almost too much they're looking at at the combine, but they go through everything. I was talking to a former NFL player the other day who said his high or his middle school gym teacher got sent a like a questionnaire asking about him to be like, what was he like? Uh, when he was in, in middle school, was he out there um, competing really, really hard? Was he the tryhard kid in gym class? Like they, they go that deep to middle school to when you're 12 years old as a seventh grader at Unami middle school or wherever. And, and that's, that's the, the crux of this. And it, it drives, it, it, I'm not going to lie. It, it bothers me a little bit. And that's a me thing, but the combine is just freaking dumb, man. It's just dumb. Um, but the combine happened and now all of a sudden all these other mock drafts shift, which a lot of these mock drafts are being, these guys get information from teams, but then they also use their own big board and stuff to kind of put this together. So the fact that all of a sudden now I, I just Googled mock drafts this morning and I'm looking through them all. And I found like four or five of them that had Malik Willis going number two, because he helped a homeless guy because he threw a ball 70 yards in shorts and a t-shirt. Not saying that either of those things aren't impressive or good things, but it shouldn't be enough that all of a sudden all of these mock drafts are moving him up to number two. But then again, the mock drafts are there to try to replicate what it is that teams are going to do in the draft, which means they're probably going to be a team that trades up and reaches to bring in Malik Willis. So could that one viral video have helped him? Maybe. And could those two viral videos, I should say, the deep ball that he threw, which was a beautiful throw, and this clip of him being an awesome person, is that going to be enough that gets him instead of drafted a 10 to two? It might. The NFL can be that stupid. <laughs> and I don't mean like stupid isn't like, oh, those guys are idiots. It's just when you, when you break it down, it's stupid almost in a loving way. Like this dumb, crazy, stupid sport that I love. And that actually could be enough to help sway it. Now, reportedly, he also crushed it in the interviews and stuff. So I, I, I'm high on Malik Willis, and we'll get through some of that stuff because I actually am going to take a little bit of time here. We're going to do just a, a brief outlook as to what the first round is going to look like. For those of you who have listened and aren't reading mock drafts every day like I do, I love the draft. It's one of my favorite things, and I am totally aware that mock drafts are dumb, but it is a good idea 
um, to, to kind of invest when you're in this industry and you're covering these guys. Obviously, I work in college sports, so I know a lot of these guys. I watch them, uh, you know, and have talked about them for years in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, guys like Aiden Hutchinson, who've been, been around in three, four years at, at Michigan now coming out. Like, I know the name. I know the player. I've seen him play for a couple of years. Uh, and, and all that stuff is, is very, very valuable when it actually comes to the draft. And when it comes to also getting ready for football season, like what rookies even can actually come in right away and, and be a standout star. And when we did our mock draft last year on the pod, we did a pretty decent job. You know, there was only one or two real shockers that I think we missed um, comparatively. So it's helpful to do that. So we're going to just do a quick layout here as to how this first round projects, because it's been talked to to death. This year is not a quarterback year. This is not the year you go up and, and you trade everything to go up and get this one guy, right? Or there's no Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow or Kyler Murray or any of those guys in this draft. So instead, in years that we've had like this, the one that always jumps to mind is the Christian Ponder year, right? It was Christian Ponder. I think it was Jake Locker. Uh, EJ might have been there. My EJ manual might have been a couple of years after that, but it was a really not great quarterback class. In that year, we saw offensive linemen going high. We saw defensive linemen going high. And, and typically, when you have years that aren't quarterbacks, your first overall pick is either going to be a defensive end or an offensive tackle. A lot of people see either Evan Neal or Ikem uh, Akunwu, uh, Akunu, sorry, uh, from NC State. Both of those guys are studs. I think they're both going to be great offensive linemen. We're going to see a lot of O-linemen go in the top 10 here. I think we could see as many as three, actually, by the end of it. I also think we're going to see a bunch of defensive linemen. Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, I think they're both locks, but I would also throw the name out Jermaine Johnson, edge rusher from Florida State, who talked about embarrassment of riches for Georgia. He transferred to Florida State this past year um, instead of because he wanted more playing time, and he's now going to be a, a top 15 pick more than likely. Uh, there's also some really special skill guys um, on the defensive side of the ball, Kyle Hamilton. I think Kyle Hamilton is the best safety prospect we've had come out probably since Jamal Adams. And ironically, Kuyper's last draft, mock draft has Kyle Hamilton going number four overall to the New York Jets, just like Jamal Adams did. Uh, Kyle Hamilton's special. He's a big dude, 6'1", 6'2", ran, ran like a 4'5", but he is rangy. His instincts are impeccable. The way he can, you know, find balls in the air, reading the quarterback's eyes, he can stop the run, but he's really, really special in, in pass coverage. He is as good of a back-end defender, when you're talking about defensive backs, as we've had in a long time. Jamal Adams, guys who've come out of Alabama and LSU, those guys do a really good job too, but they all, like Minka Fitzpatrick, right? Um, but both Minka Fitzpatrick and Jamal Adams do a really good job stopping the run, which, you know, Kyle Hamilton does really well as well. But Kyle Hamilton specializes at his position more in the coverage end of it. And it's one of the things that makes him a really, really special player. Um, I absolutely love, love Kyle Hamilton. And I think he's a home run. I think he's right now, I think he's the safest pick in the first round. Like, no doubt this dude's coming in and he's going to be a pro bowler. He's going to be a stud. Uh, he's a little, he's like a bigger Buddha Baker. You know, you think about Buddha Baker and how good he is in, in coverage in the back end. Kyle Hamilton is very, very similar to that. 
Uh, other offensive linemen, too, in that top 10, the other one I forgot to mention was Charles Cross uh, out of Mississippi State. Six foot five, monster, um, really, really good player. The other thing that excites me about this year's draft class is the, ins- is the inside linebackers, linebacker in particular. Um, Devin Lloyd, the inside linebacker from, from Utah, is a special guy, special, special player. He is, and again, this is going to be a great example of a team of teams that miss on him because of the combine. He had a bad showing at the combine. I think he ran like a four, six, um, four, seven. It, it was a, it was not a good run. Uh, all of his measure, all the, the measurable stuff and the three cone and all that stuff. He just didn't do well on, and it's going to make him fall. But this is why, you know, the eye in the sky don't lie, right? You watch the tape. Even though he ran slow in a 40, some guys aren't built to run fast at a 40-yard dash. But when you watch him play on the field for Utah, he's the fastest player on the field. He's the fastest, most explosive, quickest player. He's big for an inside line. He's tall for an inside linebacker. He's a little thin, so he definitely can put on weight. He reminds me a lot of Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith was like my favorite draft prospect probably in the last five or six years. I said, from the day I watched him at Georgia, I was like, that dude is special. And he is. And he got to the NFL and he got to Chicago and he put on some weight and he filled out his frame. And he is, for my money, him and Fred Warner are probably the two best inside linebackers in all of it in the entire NFL. They're both studs and they're game changers. Having a guy like Fred Warner, Fred Warner on that San Francisco defense changes everything. And I think Devin Lloyd has the chance to do that. Now, he was a super late offer. He was actually a wide receiver prospect at first. And the best he could do would have been low-level group of five to go play on the offensive side of the ball. Kyle Whittingham saw him, saw the explosion, saw his frame, and said, I can make you into a legitimately special linebacker. He believed that he saw it in him when he was a junior, a senior in high school. He offered and committed to Utah a little bit on the later side, but – when you watch and you put that tape on of Devin Lloyd and you'd watch Utah, that dude is special. And it's not just Devin Lloyd because N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia, is equally as awesome. Now, N'Kobe Dean is a little more Fred Warner. He's a little undersized. But that dude's a fucking heat-seeking missile. And his, his reads, his decision-making to, boom, I'm going to fill this hole, meet the, line, meet the running back in the hole, he is explosive and he's fast and he's brilliant. The mental side of N'Kobe Dean is honestly as impressive as the physical side. And another dude who I think when he gets to the NFL, I think he's going to come in and be really good right away because his processing speed is already at an NFL level. He was so much faster at processing, seeing what was coming in college than everyone else around him. His brain, he's going to be adjusted. He's going to be able to adjust the speed really well, but he's also a really talented player and he's aggressive and he's nasty and he's downhill and he's a fucking stud. And I love the guy. I absolutely love the guy. So, Nicobe Dean, Devin Lloyd, two inside linebackers that are going to go probably in the top 15 and both are absolutely deserving. The other position here that's becoming really valuable in this first down is going to be cornerback Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner, one of my favorite names in, in this year's draft. Coming out of Cincinnati, I talked about him a lot this season. He is awesome. And between he and Derek Stingley Jr., you have two guys who I think can be number one cornerbacks, have that kind of upside. Uh, and they're not even the only two that are going to go in the first round more than likely. 
with the emphasis on passing in the NFL, cornerback is becoming a more and more vital, important piece, right? You don't have to be elite there to be able to win championships, but you do have to have at least one true number one cornerback. And you have to have someone who's going to be able to match up these wide receivers who seemingly just get better and better and better. And we're going to touch on the wide receivers here in a little bit. I love Ahmad Sauce Gardner. We're going to be talking a lot about him as time goes on. Um, and Derek Stingley Jr. too, another guy, just a really, out of LSU, really, really special player. I mean, he, as a true freshman, he was started a cornerback for the national championship LSU team in 2019. The dude is a monster. Huge fan. Huge, huge, huge fan of both of those guys. And I think they're both going to be legitimate game changers. Um, since we're talking about cornerbacks, we might as well hit on the wide receivers too. It's another year of a loaded wide receiver class. And I don't know when the bubble's going to burst and teams start to treat wide receivers in the first round like they started treating with running backs in the first round, where it's like, hey, T. Higgins, we can get in the second round. Well, T. Higgins is good. Hey, we got Joe Burrow, number up. Oh, cool, boom, we good. Got a quarterback, and we got a really good wide receiver in the second round. Now, granted, that was the pick 33, so it was the first pick in the second round. But you're seeing guys get drafted later who are equally as talented, if not more talented, right? Look at the guys who were drafted ahead of Justin Jefferson, who put together arguably the two greatest first years of any wide receiver has ever put together, statistically speaking. You have Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, uh, and Jalen um, – I blocked his name out of my mind because I don't want to ever talk about Jalen Rager. All three of them were drafted ahead of Justin Jefferson. And yet Justin Jefferson's clearly the best out of all three. Well, only, and only two of those three are still in the NFL. So it's another year of loaded wide receivers, and a lot are going to go in the first round. But there's going to be teams that recognize, hey, we can get value in later rounds. So why don't we go after the cornerback? Why don't we go after the inside linebacker? I mean, look what Micah Parsons did, right? Like Micah Parsons is, it was a game changer. Isaiah Simmons, same thing. Um uh, Colin, uh, my, my man out in Arizona, Collins, right? Like all of those guys are impact players that came in and were good uh, almost immediately. And we're looking at right now another class full of a lot of these guys, but there's going to be wide receivers that teams fall in love with. And, and there's a lot of really talented dudes. And what's crazy is like Jameson Williams is probably still going to be a first first round pick, even though he tore his ACL in the national championship game. He's not going to be ready until, I mean, who knows with how quickly guys are getting back now. And they say reportedly he's ahead of schedule, but you know, Jameson Williams probably isn't playing on an NFL field until week three at best. And even still he's, that's no training camp. And the dude was still so good that teams are going to, there's going to be a team that drafts him in the first round. But aside from Jamison Williams, you got the two Ohio State guys, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, both of which are monsters. Both ran ridiculous times in the 40, which again will make teams fall in love with them. And they're both exceptional route runners. Garrett Wilson and Olave are both so smooth. They're so good. Uh, Ohio State is producing some ridiculous wide receivers, and they have even more talented guys underneath, as we saw in the Rose Bowl against Utah. But Garrett Wilson, to me, is, the, is my number one wide receiver, followed closely, which is kind of a tie in my eyes, but only because they're so different. I don't know which one I, I would rather have or which one kind of fits the schemes better. It's a more schematic-based thing. But Traylon Burks, uh, wide receiver from Arkansas, big body. Think Alshon Jeffrey. Um, Anquan Bolden kind of dude, big body dude, but he can run. And 
and he's a mismatch nightmare in the red zone. Uh, and then Alave again is just smooth, man. Like his, he's got, he's got the oily hips that people always talk about, man. He he's shifty. His route running is exceptional, but Garrett Wilson has the explosiveness that I don't think a lot of people thought from him. And that was one of the few things you could actually take away from his 40 times. Like, Oh wow. His get off his, it was explosive. Um, but he is so good at separating. He's his, I watched a compilation of, of just him and his route tree and it was the same, the first, I don't know, call it 40% of the route was the same for all, all, all five of these examples. But for each one, he had a different way to finish the route, right? So you come out, he ran, it was like a 10-yard up, it was a little button hook. Um, and he plant, as soon as he plants that foot, he's got a whole route tree after that. And all five of them were so dirty and so good and so smooth. I mean, he's so polished and I, and I, I just, I love Garrett Wilson. Um, but again, right after Garrett Wilson and, and Alave and um, Burks, that dude from USC, you know, that no one's talking about, it feels like, but should is Drake London. Drake London is a really, really good player. Again, talking about size, he's six, five and he's fast. He averaged 11 catches and 136 yards a game playing for that USC team, which fired their head coach three weeks into the season. Drake London is a really, really good wide receiver, and he's a big body, great hands, doesn't drop the ball, can do a little bit after the catch. He's not the burner, but he's a deep threat, and he's going to be, he's going to continue to be really, really, really good. Um, like I said, uh, yeah, Jameson Williams there. And those are probably the only four I can see going in the first round. Um, but after that, I mean, you have guys like Jahan Dodson, right? The burner from Penn state, that dude can fly. He's really, really special. Um, and there, there's just going to be more and more and more really, really talented wide receivers, but there's going to be guys you can get later in the draft. So I guess if it's a, if it's a big need for your team, right. If, if you're one of these teams that I don't even know if I have, like maybe Kansas city, little bit later on you have Tyreek and you have Kelsey but they're both starting to get older you want to be able to have another guy that can help with Mahomes back into the first round you want to take one of these guys you already have a little bit of an embarrassment of riches as it is I kind of love that for for a team like the Chiefs right um but most teams are, are set Green Bay maybe you know again these teams that have really really good rosters built and you're like hey why don't we just get a little dessert on top and draft this ridiculously good wide receiver. Um, the last part of the draft here that I want to hit on before we go though, or move on to our, uh, or take a quick break. I should say the quarterbacks, I said at the top, not a great class, but they are interesting prospects nonetheless. Right. So I, to me, there's three guys at the top, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral. After those three, I'm pretty open-minded about the rest, but I think it does drop off a little bit. Now, the most naturally gifted, the, the best athlete in the group, the strongest arm, all the measurables, all that shit, that's Malik Willis. And, and it's not close compared to Pickett or Corral. Pickett is the – honestly, he's Mac Jones. He, he's a better athlete version of Mac Jones. Uh, Pickett is really fast. Like, so I think he ran, again – using combine number here, but just for context, I think he ran about a four or five something or a four, six something really, really fast. 
good athlete, not certain, really, really fast, really, really fast for a quarterback that's not a mobile quarterback. Um, or as other people would say, oh, yeah, the white guy, right? <laughs> Sneaky fast, as they always say. Uh, but Pickett's accurate, really, really smart, good arm. The hand size thing with him. Look, eight and a half inch hands are small, right? I actually measured mine because I was curious. I have exactly nine inch hands. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. Kenny Pickett's hands are a half inch smaller than mine. I was like, that's, that's pretty small. Because even when I hold an NFL football, it feels big. It feels like, damn, like, I don't think I could whip this like I could a college ball or high school ball. The NFL balls are big. And Kenny Pickett, which supposedly he's double jointed, which changes it. But the hand size is less of a thing for me. It's more about grip strength, right? Like if you fumble the ball a lot, then it's a problem. Joe Burrow had nine, I think nine inch hands. And everyone's like, oh, oh man, Joe Burrow. And he had such a great response to it on Twitter. But Joe Burrow didn't fumble the football. He had really good grip strength. He, he had the technique of always keeping your two hands on the ball, all that stuff. Joe Burrow doesn't fumble the ball a whole lot. Kenny Pickett has 23 fumbles as a starter. It's a pretty big number, right? And it's a little bit worrisome, but he switched to the two gloves. He didn't fumble it a ton this year, but the ball also gets out of his hands quick. So he's a really interesting case study. And, and the more I look at it, the more it does feel like a team like Washington is probably going to be the ones that take the risk on him. But I could also see him having a pretty big fall too. I can see teams being scared away by that, even though it's dumb, right? If you can hold on to the ball, you have good grip, then the hand size doesn't matter. But those 23 fumbles are going to freak some teams out. Everything else about him I like. He doesn't have an insane arm, but he's really accurate. He can throw the deep ball. And the most impressive thing about him is the mental side for him. Mentally, I think Kenny Pickett is a clear step up above every other quarterback in this class. And honestly, probably better than anybody in last year's class. I think he and Mac Jones both. That's why I use Mac Jones as the comp, because I said that all the time last year. The amount that Steve Sarkeesian was able to throw at Mac Jones when he was the OC at Alabama, that Mac Jones could just be like, give me more, give me more, I can do more, I can do more. And he could, he could process it all. He could run more complicated pro-style designs and more stuff that he's going to have to do at the NFL level. And we saw Mac Jones be good. So if it's the right situation with, with a pretty good offense and, and ideally a good O-line and, and someone that can run the ball, so you're not putting a ton of pressure on Kenny Pickett, I, I like the kid. I, I think he's going to be a pretty good pro. And if not, I can see him being one of those long-term backups that hangs around if, it, if the starter side of it doesn't quite work out. The last quarterback of the top three, and, and the reason I kept him last is because my favorite quarterback in this draft is Matt Corral. And I've been, or I was early on Matt Corral. I'm going, and, and I've been on the Matt Corral train for a long time. He doesn't have the Matt Stafford rocket arm, but what he does have is that Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers flick. And that throw to just, it feels like you're throwing a dart almost, right? That little wrist flick. When he does that, that is a really specialized way to throw a football. It is not, from a technique standpoint, the right way to do it, but it shows a comfortability and, and a, a natural understanding of how to throw the ball, right? There's some throws that Mahomes, that everyone always freaks out about with Mahomes and throws that everyone freaks out about with Aaron Rodgers, and it's just these little flicks, and, and you can do a lot with it, right? He can flick the ball and I forget who they were playing. Might've been Arkansas. 
Matt Corral threw, I think it was Arkansas. Matt Corral threw an absolute fucking seed. I think it was like 65 yards in the air. And it was just one of the best passes I've ever seen. And it looked so effortless because it was just this and just flicks it and boom, it's out. I love that about Matt Corral, but he's also really good on some of the intermediate stuff. He's got good control. For him, the biggest question is going to be durability and size. He is a little bit under, he's not short. I think he's about 6'1", but he's thin. So he definitely needs to put on a little bit of weight, preferably muscle. But you also don't want to change too much about what he does mechanically because he shows really good results. The other issue with him is going to be the aggression, right? How aggressive he is, which for a lot of guys, you'll love that. You'll love, he's definitely a little bit more of the gunslinger and it worked well with Lane Kiffin. That's a perfect marriage, right? We need to see that same perfect marriage in the NFL. And I don't know what team that's going to be, but for Matt Corral to work, he's got to go to a place that's going to let him be him, make the mistakes, but also train him up uh, on the mental side of the game because I think that's going to be one other area where he struggles a little bit. But the intangibles on this kid, I just love, you know, the, the comments about wanting to play in the bowl game, right? He's like, I wouldn't even be offered to go to the combine or I wouldn't even be considered a potential first round pick if it wasn't for my team. And so I want to go out and play with them. And I don't have an issue either way. If the kid wants to play in a bowl game, play in the bowl game. If you don't, no worries. Happy days. Do your thing. But Matt Corral, as a leader, the respect he has for the game, the respect he has for his teammates, all that stuff, it, it's easy to fall in love with and it might be a little hokey, but I, I do think it says a lot about him and, and his character as a player. So I'm excited to see this. And as you guys know, we are going to hammer, absolutely hammer our mock draft. Again, we're going to go through a bunch of it. We're going to break down other mock drafts. We're going to talk the draft all the way up to April when we get to see the show, because it's one of my favorite sporting events of the year. Unlike the, <laughs> all right, quick break come back all right so we actually have some breaking news here uh as we're recording the pod and uh luckily for me it was actually going to be the next thing we talked about here which is aaron Rodgers. aaron Rodgers, according to pat mcafee who i think we can all agree is probably uh pretty well tied in <laughs> to what our man aaron Rodgers is going to be doing uh aaron Rodgers coming back it's going to be a green bay packer what a weird story <laughs> What a, Going from the draft weekend last year to when Schefter broke the news that he wanted to trade or Rodgers wanted to trade until now, what a, I mean, Shailene Woodley and Miles Teller are playing big roles in this. Aaron Rodgers has weird long hair. He won another MVP. He got upset at home in the snow to San Francisco. I, it just doesn't make any sense. It goes back to this crazy, stupid, bizarre, dumb sport that I love so much. And Aaron Rodgers, man, I, I said it was Scotty. I said it was Scotty a couple of weeks ago when we were doing our offseason predictions. It just makes so much sense for him to go to Green Bay. Where else is he going to go? Where else is, he, is there a better team? There's no other place that's going to love him like Green Bay. There's, and supposedly this deal is a cap-friendly deal, which is interesting because uh, Schefter had reported earlier that this was going to be a market-setting deal, that this deal was going to essentially reshape the quarterback market. But if it's cap-friendly, 
that's kind of the exact opposite. So I'm curious, is he going to go the, you know, monster contract route or is he going to go the Tom Brady route, take less money so we can sign Devonte Adams, who uh, the deadline for the franchise tag, which is the other part I wanted to talk about in this little, whatever this is uh, the franchise tag deadline is today, which is Tuesday. Um, and Devonte Adams is likely expected to be tagged. Now, it hasn't officially come across yet, but I would imagine that if Aaron Rodgers is coming back, then that means Devontae Adams will also be coming back either with a contract or through the franchise tag. And from there, you know, they'll take it day by day. Um, oh, actually, breaking news right now. MVP quarterback Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers have agreed to a four-year, $200 million deal with $153 million guaranteed. That's a that's a pretty big deal. That's a that's a pretty pretty fucking big deal. Um, wow. All right. So there we have it. Uh, we know what the deal is. Scratch what I just said before, and you know I'm going to leave it in too because, like I said, transparency is what we do on this pod. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packer for four more years. Uh, that'll take him to age 42. 153 million is a big number in guaranteed money. Uh, you know, obviously the Mahomes contract is insane. It is a whole nother monster, but 200 million. This is only the second deal over $200 million in the history of the NFL. And for a four year deal it would be 200 million. That is big. Um, my guess is there's going to be a lot of this, you know, that comes into a signing bonus and uh, we'll probably have to do that over the next few years to keep the cap down. But that is a big deal. That's a big contract. So uh, Aaron Rodgers staying in green Bay, it was the place he should have stayed all along, you know. He he went through just a little bit of like a mid. I, I said it before. He went through a midlife crisis. All right, we all go through midlife crises at some point, right? We question, well, what are we doing? Oh, I want to try a different hairstyle or a different beard. Oh, I want to try. Oh, I'm going to buy this car because it's a little bit cooler. You know, we do that stuff. Do it all the time, and uh, happens to everybody. And I think Aaron Rodgers just went through a little bit of a weird phase, and I think his whole post about how thankful and appreciative he is of, and how grateful he was, um, you know, it's a, it's a good deal for him, man. And maybe I'm trying to just be less cynical after I was a cynical asshole earlier, but I hope it's true because, you know, deep, I've always loved Aaron Rodgers until, you know, some of the COVID stuff this year, I just thought was irresponsible. And, and I just fundamentally disagreed with, and I thought he was kind of acting like a diva, kind of like an asshole this year. But I always kind of loved him before, and now I guess he wants to go back to the way he was. You know, he was the he ruffled up some feathers and wanted to go back to the way it was before. So I, you know what? Good for the Packers and good for Aaron Rodgers. Get this done early before free agency even opens up, and and knock this shit out and get it done. So there you have it, Aaron Rodgers, two hundred million dollars, four years, one hundred and fifty three million guaranteed. Uh, the other parts here of the franchise tag um, that I kind of wanted to just touch on quickly uh, before we start to wrap up this pod. Um, as of right now, we have four guys officially signed on the uh, franchise tag. That is offensive tackle Orlando Brown for the Chiefs. Really good deal for the Chiefs. He's older. He doesn't have a lot of time left. If you were going to try to pay him a longer extension, he would warrant to be one of the highest paid offensive linemen in football. You're not doing that to a guy who's 37 years old. You throw the tag on him. You're giving him a good chunk of money. 
and you're on to the next. Uh, Jesse Bates, safety for the Cincinnati Bengals. Another really, really important piece there. He was a big part of that defense who really started to come together about on the back half of the season. Uh, and, and to have a leader like that, you're also buying yourself another year to try to work out some something a little bit longer term, maybe with Cincinnati. I like that one for our, uh, the Bengals. I almost said our Bengals just because I love Joe Burrow that much. Um, and then the last two that are officially signed are <clears throat> two tight ends, David Njoku and Mike Gesicki. Now, Gesicki, I love. that. That's a great call, great signing. I would hope that they would try to sign him to a long-term deal because he and Tua definitely gelled. We saw what Mike McDaniel did with Kittle in San Francisco, right? So between Tua loving him, Tua, Jimmy G, not that far different in terms of quarterbacks. Tua, I think, still has a little bit more of an upside, but stylistically, pretty similar fit. Uh, Gesicki is going to be a great, great fit in that offense, and I think Mike, Mike McDaniel is going to find a lot of ways to get him the ball. The David Njoku one, though, I'm not as high on, and Cleveland fans love him, but the dude couldn't catch a ball for the first three years of his career, and he still hasn't been that great. I think the athleticism, the traits, and the personality are all easy to love. But the consistency, the health, and to pay him, you know, when you get franchise tag, you're getting the average of the top five highest paid players in that position. So take Dallas Goddard and Travis Kelsey and, and Kittle and all these guys and take their big contracts and average it out and of those top five guys, and that's what you're paying. And to me, is David Njoku worth that? It just seems like a big, big cap hit for someone who's never been reliable ever in his career. I, I don't know. Guy who runs the Browns, GM of the Browns, is, went to Harvard, right? So should know a hell of a lot more than me. I, again, I've always liked David Njoku. I don't love him. He's not consistent. He doesn't put up big numbers, and he gets hurt a lot. Doesn't really scream to me like a guy you'd want to franchise tag, but – especially when you already have two other um, between Bryant and was it Hunter Bryant and uh, Austin Hooper there too. I mean, you have two other pretty good tight ends. Just doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense, but Browns fans all over social media were like, keep David and Joku at all costs. So there you go. That's what you have. Um, there are four that are expect. Oh, there's a fifth as well. Dalton Schultz, another tight end. Um, actually the relation, it's an interesting stat. Quarterback wide receiver combination with the number one quarterback rating, like when a player targeted a, a, a quarterback targeted a specific receiver. Number one, minimum of 80 catches, Dalton Schultz and Dak Prescott, ahead of Rodgers and Devontae Adams, ahead of Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup. Now, a lot of that's efficiency, too. And a lot of the reason Dalton Schultz was as good as he was is because you're battling CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup. And Amari Cooper on the outside, who looks like the Cowboys are just going to flat out cut Amari Cooper, which is insane. I mean, the, the dude has just put together five straight thousand yard seasons. You're going to cut him? Go for it, Stephen Jones. Go for it. I Nothing makes me happier than the Cowboys doing dumb shit with a running. And they, the cap hit, I guess, $20 million from Amari Cooper. The cap hit for Zeke is almost as bad, if not worse. And Zeke is far less productive. So cut Zeke's ass. You got Tony Pollard. Run with it. What are we doing, Dallas? What are we doing? It's crazy. But Dalton Schultz is a good, is a pretty good tight end. I don't think he's a top five tight end in football. 
I don't, I think he's a pretty good tight end. But sometimes you have a valuable player. You don't want to pay him the long-term contract. Hey, franchise tag is there for a reason. Uh, and then the three left that are expected to be tagged are three wide receivers. Devontae Adams, like I said, we're expecting if that hasn't been done, it's going to be done. Uh, Chris, Go- Chris Godwin, wide receiver for Tampa Bay, towards ACL. So another interesting one to me as to why you would – why you would tag him. Um, I guess they're just trying to keep some of that Super Bowl roster together in hopes that maybe Tom Brady pops out of retirement. Um, and then the last one there, Mike Williams, uh, wide receiver for the Chargers. I think that's a smart move. I wouldn't trust Mike Williams to have to sign him to a long-term deal. But when he was right and when he was, you know, really cooking there with um, – with Justin Herbert, it completely changed that game. You know, their offense got significantly better and Herbert became significantly more dangerous. Having Mike Williams being the good version of Mike Williams, because he is so explosive. And we go back to why he was drafted top 10 out of Clemson because the dude was a really, really special player. And, uh, and I think it was smart. You tag him and look, if he performs again this year, then you reward him with a long-term contract. Uh, But I, I would think now given the injury history and the inconsistent performance, I think it makes sense to tag him and then see if he can produce again. And then, yeah, maybe you offer him a long-term contract next season. Um, That's all I have on the football front here. And I said at the top, uh, I had some personal slash professional news I wanted to share with you guys. And as I've alluded to a couple of times throughout the podcast, I believe in transparency. I believe in being honest and, um, you guys listening, you know, I reference all the time. I've been a producer on ESPNU radio uh, at Sirius XM for almost four years now. And uh, it's been an unbelievable journey. Um, I've been able to talk with and speak to some of the coolest people in sports media. I've become friends with former NFL players. I've broken bread with NFL players. I've, I've learned so much about the game and the industry and behind the scenes stories. And it's been such a valuable um valuable thing for me uh and this is my last week on espnu radio um it's uh definitely bittersweet um i picked up a new job in a different uh department there at sirius xm and uh, i look forward to you know sharing some of that it's going to be more on the talk side so a little bit less sports um but you know it's an important decision i had to make um, you know, real life logistics can get in the way of pursuing these dreams. And Ryan Rosillo has always said about these jobs, podcasting, radio, sports media, and there's a million different things outside of sports media, music, acting, writing, all of those things that are labeled the quote unquote cool jobs. They're hard. They're hard. And they take a lot out of you. Um, they don't pay great. You know, you're working weird hours. You have to sacrifice seeing your family, being around for holidays, being around for birthdays, uh, you know, funerals, weddings, stuff like that, that, you know, for as, as cool as it is, every time I'm on a golf course and someone asks, okay, what do you, so what do you do for work? And I tell them what I do, They're like, man, you're living the dream. You're living the dream. And, and, in a lot of ways I am, I'm, I'm going after something I'm passionate about. I'm going after something I love that I care about that I want to be great in. Uh, and 
and along those journeys are going to be ups and downs. There's going to be moments that feel amazing and there's going to be moments that really suck. And if you still have the passion for it and you're still willing to grind, then you know, you're out doing something that you love, you know, that you're doing something that you care about. And so while this is a bit of a lateral move for me, and I'm very sad that I'm not going to be covering, you know, March madness. Um, and that I'm not going to be, you know, doing post-game shows and, and talking college football and, and doing all that stuff that I really love to do, uh, this is going to help set me up to be even better in the long run. Uh, it's motivating. It's driving me to go off and be good uh, and to continue to grow. And the other cool part for you guys as listeners of this podcast is I always felt a little weird asking like guys I worked with and produced radio shows for to, to come onto the pod. And as I've started to share with people, um, that I'm leaving almost every single host I've talked to about it has been very eager and willing to come and hop on the pod. So the sad news is, yes, I am going to be leaving uh, ESPNU. Uh, I'm going to be leaving sports talk radio for a little bit, but you guys will definitely be benefactors from that because, uh, we're going to have some kick-ass guests, uh, I'll throw a couple of names out there. I know I've teased the EJ Manuel one for a while. That's still coming. I promise it's still coming. He's got a baby on the way, so he's got things go a lot going on in his world. But we're going to get EJ, uh, Dusty Dvorak, the number two analyst um, for ESPN College Football, also a longtime player in the NFL, uh, played in the Super Bowl, Oklahoma D-tackle. He's going to come on as well. Uh, maybe even of an appearance from one Danny Cannell as well. So we're, there's going to be – a lot of good stuff that comes in this podcast. All of my sports energy is going to be thrown into this thing. So live streams, video content, uh, we're taking this thing to the fucking moon. We're, we're, we are building this thing up. Um, and what's been really, really cool is in this time that has felt a little uncertain for me, I'm, I'm moving on to a new, a new role, a new position. I'm, I'm leaving something that I care a lot about um, to do what's going to be ultimately best for me in the long run. The really cool thing is the, the podcast has exploded in the last month or so um, our numbers are, are double what they've been. And that's all because of you guys. It's all because you guys are, are listening to this pod. You care about it. You, you tune in to hear me and Vito and Scotty. And sometimes just me um, laugh with each other and dick around and talk about sports. And, and that is special to us. And this platform is special to me. Uh, it's been a labor of love. We're coming up on a hundred episodes this is episode 92, so within the next few weeks, uh, probably about a month from now, we're going to hit our 100th episode, and you know, 90% of podcasts never have more than one or two episodes, and that's not just like an arbitrary number, like that's an actual stat, and, and for us to be here at 100, I know I talked about it at the one-year anniversary mark too, um, it's special, and it only happens because you guys have been invested in it and have stuck along and, and been around for the, uh, for the ride, so uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you, how much I appreciate every single one of you who, who's tuned in. Uh, I was looking at the map today. We're, we're blowing up in Ireland and the UK. So for our British listeners and followers, hit me up, please, on Twitter at Jeff underscore Gimple. Um, I think it's still Jeff underscore Gimple. But hit me up on Twitter, please. I would love to talk to you guys. I would, I would love to interact with you guys more. Uh, and, and like I said, we're, we're blowing this thing up. We're taking this thing to the moon. Um, we're going to get signed on somewhere. We're going to do something with this. It's going to continue to get bigger and better. The guests are going to get bigger and better. And this thing's just going to keep going. Um, so while it's bittersweet and sad, 
that I'll be leaving ESPNU, uh, I'm beyond excited for, for what's coming next. And you guys in this podcast is a huge reason why I'm excited because without this, this whole transition would be a lot shittier. I can, I can promise you that. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you all. Uh, I will keep you guys updated because my next thing will turn to the next thing and we're going to keep moving. We're going to keep making pods. We're going to keep making content. We're going to love sports because like I said at the top, sports are special. It's a special thing we have. It's one of the truly unique things we have left in our society where that doesn't get completely dominated by social media and nothing else. Sitting down, watching basketball, watching football, and then coming out and talking about it with some of my best friends and to everyone who listens, I consider you a friend as well. So uh, we love you guys. Thank you so much. And we will be back on Friday. Vito will be in the house uh, and, and hopefully we'll have Scotty as well. And we're going to kick this thing up. Stay tuned. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. And we'll talk to you guys. Then. Take it easy, everybody.